From DLA Piper, this is the Beyond the Curve podcast. In this episode, DLA Piper's Lisa Dewey talks with Nancy Drain, Executive Director of the D.C. Access to Justice Commission, and Becky Trott, Executive Director of the D.C. Bar Pro Bono Center, about the need for equal access to justice during the pandemic and beyond. My name is Lisa Dewey, and I serve as the U.S. Pro Bono Partner at DLA Piper and the Director of New Perimeter which is our firm's nonprofit affiliate dedicated to global pro bono projects. I'm really delighted today to be joined by Nancy Drain and Becky Tropp in this discussion about access to justice, the access to justice response to the current pandemic, the calls for racial justice, and the extraordinary work that's being done in the District of Columbia. Nancy Drain is the Executive Director of the D.C. Access to Justice Commission, And Becky Troth is the Executive Director of the D.C. Bar Pro Bono Center. I have had the great pleasure of working closely with Nancy and Becky through my past service on the D.C. Bar Board of Governors, serving on the Pro Bono Center's Pro Bono Committee, as well as through our firm's pro bono work with the Access to Justice Commission. Nancy, I'd really love to start with you. I'm wondering if you can tell our listeners what the D.C. Access to Justice Commission is and a little bit about how it operates. I would love to, and thanks so much for putting this conversation together, Lisa. The D.C. Access to Justice Commission was created by the D.C. Court of Appeals in 2005. The mission of the commission when it was put together was to help address barriers that limit the ability of low and moderate income D.C. residents to access the civil justice system. We currently have 24 commissioners, and you and Becky are two of them, who were appointed by the D.C. Court of Appeals. Our commissioners include local judges, leaders, of the private bar, our legal services community, and area law schools, and other prominent community leaders, like leaders of health organizations, social services organizations, and the like. And the commission is chaired by Georgetown University law professor Peter Edelman and vice chaired by Jim Sandman, who is the president emeritus of the Legal Services Corporation. I would describe the commission as a convener. We work to bring together community stakeholders on issues that impact how civil justice works. We make sure there are adequate resources to support lawyers who help district residents solve civil justice problems, or we make recommendations to improve systems of justice like our courts or other tribunals to make them easier to access. The possibilities of our work are virtually endless. That's great. And Nancy, before you became the executive director of the commission, you worked at Children's Law Center here in D.C. I'm wondering if you could just tell us a bit about this part of your career and how it helped prepare you for your current role. Yes, I was so lucky to work at Children's Law Center for over 13 years before I joined the commission in December of 2016. I started as a staff attorney at Children's Law Center, and primarily I was representing children and families involved in the child welfare system. I also served as training director at Children's Law Center for several years, and then my last position there before joining the commission was 
was as its pro bono director, reaching out to the community of law firms and other organizations to encourage them to partner with us to provide legal representation to district residents. I learned so much at CLC, both about the client community, but also about the delivery of legal services. CLC was really forward thinking about how to integrate policy reform work into legal services, how to use data and evaluation to improve program design and how legal services are delivered, and so much more. It was a truly formative experience for me personally. What I saw at CLC, because it's such a high quality organization, are things that I now bring to my work at the commission. That's great. And speaking of legal services, Becky, I want to turn to you, and I'm wondering if you could just tell our audience about the DC Bar Pro Bono Center. Sure. Thank you, Lisa, and thanks for asking me to join this conversation. And thank you for all you've done to promote pro bono and to serve our community. You've made a huge difference. To start, the DC Pro Bono Center is a separate nonprofit supported by voluntary contributions, not DC bar members' license fees. So the bar's members should not be confused. We are affiliated with the DC bar, but we're not funded by it. The Pro Bono Center's mission is to level the playing field in our courts and administrative agencies. We are the largest provider of pro bono legal services in the district. And each year, or at least each year without a pandemic, the Pro Bono Center mobilizes more than 1,500 volunteer lawyers to serve more than 20,000 individuals and families and nonprofits and small businesses through a variety of programs, full representation clinics, court-based resource centers, same-day representation, and neighborhood walk-in clinics in Shaw and Anacostia. Becky, I know also before you became the executive director of the Pro Bono Center, you served as the Pro Bono Counsel at Sidley Austin here in the district. And I'm wondering, just to pose the same question to you as I asked Nancy, how did that part of your career at Sidley Austin lead you to where you are now and how you might be viewing your work at the Pro Bono Center? I was Pro Bono Counsel at Sidley for 10 years. This position became open during the 2016 election, and that prompted me to think about whether there was more than I could do to make a difference in the world. And I decided that I wanted the last chapter of my career to be something purely public interest oriented. As pro bono counsel at a firm that was really committed to pro bono, I was able to work with many of the legal services organizations in D.C. And I did see the pro bono center as leading the legal services community in many ways, including by helping individuals and families as well as nonprofits and small businesses that are so important to the health of our community. I also took a lesson from the many people at Sidley who did pro bono work, including Sidley's pro bono partner at the time that I started, Ron Flagg, who's now president of the Legal Services Corporation. He led by example and showed the importance of serving our neighbors and our own community to be aware of their acute needs and try to ensure that they have a lawyer when they need one. So there were lots of lessons that I learned during my time at Sidley. I'm curious, is there anything that jumps out at you or that you've learned in the role that you have now about legal services or legal aid work that you didn't know when you were in that role as a pro bono leader at Sidley? 
There were many things I did not know before I started this job. I did not appreciate the many ways that the Pro Bono Center served our community. I also did not appreciate just how difficult it is to meet the need for legal services in the district. D.C. has more lawyers per capita than any other city in the country and probably the world, and yet more than 90% of tenants in landlord-tenant court face losing their homes without a lawyer, while 90% of landlords are represented. So the need in our community is great. Those numbers are hard to even wrap our heads around, I know. So here we are in the middle of one of the worst crises to hit the world, and the three of us have been in close touch, and we speak almost on a weekly basis. And I feel like I've seen you all a lot because I see you on Zoom all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But we haven't actually met in person since the very beginning of the year. This has been quite a year and have been so concerned about the families in our city who are suffering the most during this time. So I wonder if you could speak about how the pandemic has changed the focus of your work, what you've been doing to really pivot to working remotely during this time. And Becky, let me start with you. How has the DC Bar Pro Bono Center adjusted? Well, I would say that we've adjusted remarkably well. All of our programs are operating remotely in some form, although figuring out the logistics has been a challenge. We all had laptops and we were able to operate at home and we were able to set up dedicated phone lines fairly quickly so that our clients were able to reach us by phone with these dedicated phone lines in our various clinics and resource centers. We also tried to bolster the sorts of information we had available on our websites and on probono.net slash DC and on Law Help, which is available to the public to give information about various legal issues. So it was a challenge, but I think we adapted pretty well. That's great. I think so too. As the pro bono partner at DLA Piper, I know that we've continued to work closely with you all. And I think the way that your staff and everybody has quickly found new ways to serve our community has just really been wonderful. And we're grateful for that. And Nancy, I want to turn to you. I know the DC Access to Justice Commission quickly formed a COVID-19 task force. Can you describe for our listeners what this task force is and what it's doing and what the goals might be? Absolutely. I'm so proud of the work that everyone on the task force has done. It's been remarkable to see people mobilize and come together in the face of this crisis. As soon as the pandemic hit, the commission quickly recognized that there was a need to bring members of the community together, and particularly our legal community, to promote ongoing communication, to collaborate together on planning, and to work on centralizing information. When COVID hit, everyone really sprang into action, but it was crisis-driven, and it was in a moment of isolation, physical isolation more than anything else. People were asking, what can we do right away to help? There was a lot of energy 
to doing something immediately to meet the crisis. There was great work happening. But what we observed was that there was a duplication of effort, that there were missed opportunities to bring people together on particular initiatives or projects. And there was just an overwhelming amount of information being circulated in an environment that was constantly changing. I'm sure you both remember those first days of COVID where the world changed on a daily basis. I still feel that way sometimes, but it was so fast paced and fast moving in those first months. So what we decided to do was to form this task force and then quickly form three committees to look at three aspects of our civil justice system. First, to look at emerging legal needs and the resources that we needed to meet those needs. Another committee to look at the centralization of legal information, both for lawyers, but also for community members. And a third committee to look at communication in real time between the court and our administrative tribunal here in the district and lawyers on the ground to get information out about changes in the procedures, to provide feedback on those changes to court leadership, and to make recommendations for operations moving forward. All of these committees have been invaluable, both the collaborative spirit of them, but also the opportunity to bring people together just to talk to one another, share information, share ideas. I think it's been particularly valuable because we all feel so isolated. Yeah, I agree with that, Nancy. And I know that Becky and I have been so honored to co-chair the first committee you mentioned, which was around mobilizing pro bono support. And I have to say, it has been a real highlight to come together with that subcommittee and so many people that you and the commission have helped convene to mobilize and to feel connected and share information. And that's been a real highlight, I know, for me personally, just to see everybody on Zoom and to share that kind of information and to really have those discussions about what are the increased legal needs that we're seeing in the community or that we're anticipating that are still yet to come. I know that after natural disasters, for example, as you said, everybody is so excited to help and really mobilized to help, but often don't know exactly what the best way to do that is and how to add the most value. And sometimes it takes a while to really tease that out, especially when it comes to legal needs. So I think that has been incredibly valuable. And out of these efforts, the D.C. Access to Justice Commission has launched D.C. Represents. And I'm wondering, Nancy, if you can just tell our audience a little bit about this initiative, what that is, and what our hopes are for it. I'm glad that you've been honored to work with us, but let me say we feel honored that you <laughs> and Becky are co-chairing this committee. There were no two more perfect people to take on that role, and the work that you have done to lead the effort has just been incredible. I agree with what you said, Lisa, that the really has been a true collaborative effort and a great example of the power not only of bringing people together, but bringing stakeholders who have slightly 
different perspectives together to plan together. Right away, we reached out to legal services providers to ask them to tell us what they were seeing in terms of community needs and what help they needed. We wanted to make sure that we were being informed by the people on the ground working and interacting with our DC neighbors. What I was struck by is all kinds of community need that they were seeing. But we also saw that the organizations had institutional needs as well. We wanted to make sure that we were not only thinking about how they were serving clients, but looking at them as organizations. As Becky so beautifully described, all of these organizations were shifting to fully remote operations. They were dealing with human resources issues for staff balancing work and home commitments, technology challenges. These were all new issues for many of them and really overwhelming. We knew that law firms and other institutions may actually have advice for them, that there were resources like the Pro Bono Center, small business and nonprofit clinics that could help them. We wanted to look at this in a multifaceted way. We knew that the pandemic was impacting needs in the community, and we wanted to be able to really capture that, to share with folks that we were going to turn to to provide pro bono services. With that information in hand, we looked at resource development. How could we get our area law firms, law schools, corporate departments, and government attorneys involved in pro bono projects to meet those needs? DC has such an incredibly rich pro bono culture that the groundwork was already laid there, but we wanted to urge organizations to expand their efforts to do more. And that's really how DC Represents was born. I'd be remiss if I didn't also say that we modeled the project off a similar effort in Los Angeles. This might be a good time to mention another observation I've had during this COVID pandemic. We're looking at successes in other parts of the country and learning from that and replicating successful ideas. Our hope for DC Represents is to get pro bono organizations to commit to do more. Firms have started to do this in a variety of ways. Some firms have started volunteering at legal clinics in areas like domestic violence or housing for the first time. I know, Lisa, that your firm is doing something like that. Other firms are saying they'll double the number of cases in a particular legal area, like addressing housing conditions or consumer protection issues. We're intentionally giving organizations the flexibility to choose how they want to do more in a way that feels right to them as institutions and to leverage existing relationships that they have with legal service providers. But we're also encouraging them to try new things and explore new partnerships, if that makes sense to them as well. That's terrific. And Becky, just to turn to you for a second, I know it was really important that we focus on helping our neighbors in terms of this pro bono effort. I'm wondering if you can say a word about why that was important to us, but also what you're most hopeful about with regard to this DC Represents initiative. Thanks, Lisa. And I should thank you for doing more with DC Represents and volunteering with our Landlord Tenant Resource Center, which has been a huge help. So I'd like to point out that DLA Piper really put its money where its mouth is and stepped up in this effort. 
So we are hopeful that this effort will inspire people to be part of the legal community's effort to mobilize and respond to a crisis in our own community. And we also are hopeful that the effort will allow an efficient allocation of resources that law firms and pro bono lawyers can figure out where the need is and they can be connected with organizations that will then shepherd them through the process and help them connect with clients. I'm very hopeful because we're focusing on neighbors. There are so many pro bono opportunities available in the nation's capital, but it is so easy to forget the crisis that exists in our own community and the crisis that existed before the pandemic. Now we have the crisis of the pandemic and the economic crisis and helping our neighbors through these crises may not garner splashy headlines, but it is incredibly meaningful and can transform the lives of those people who are struggling every day because they don't have a job, they're worried that they're going to lose their homes. And the work that we do to make sure that they have access to the courts and that their rights are protected is incredibly meaningful. I do hope that people understand that doing justice one person at a time is an important thing to do. Absolutely. And I know that there have been many legal needs that have increased during this time, and you just highlighted several of them because of the struggles that families in our community are facing. I know that we've talked about the increase in domestic violence, the increased need that we're anticipating in landlord-tenant court, and many other areas. But I also know that it's continuing to evolve as time goes on. I'm wondering, Beck, if you can tell us some ways that pro bono volunteers right now could be most helpful? And are there ways that they can prepare for doing more of this work to help our neighbors in 2021? Oh, sure. There are many things that we're hoping our pro bono lawyers in D.C. will do. And we do think that linking our work with D.C. represents will encourage more lawyers to volunteer now so that we know that we'll have the people power we need when the eviction and debt collection moratoria end. And we are very importantly also offering lots of trainings, both live webinars and recorded trainings. So we're encouraging people to go to probono.net DC to see the trainings that are being offered so that they can prepare in advance and be ready when the courts start hearing these cases again. On top of that, we're ensuring that we've got mentors who are available to guide people through these cases. So we're trying to think ahead and be prepared for what everyone calls this tsunami of cases that are going to happen after the moratoria. And Thank you, Becky. It is so important for us to do everything we can to get ready and to figure out ways that we can all be helpful in the new year, for sure. Nancy, I want to turn back to you for a second, because I know that the Access to Justice Commission is embarking on an exercise to provide justice for all, and that this is part of a national movement, JFA, Justice for All movement across the country. And I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about what this is and what the commission is hoping to accomplish through this exercise. It's such an exciting moment for the commission and our community. And in many ways, it's perfectly timed with 
the work that we're doing to deal with this crisis. Justice for All is a national movement promoted by the National Center for State Courts. They've encouraged states to engage a wide range of stakeholders, not just the legal community, but the community at large, to look at how we can really and truly expand access to justice, knowing that the best plans come from broad and genuine collaboration. At its core, what JFA is about is saying there is no wrong door to get through for people who are trying to access the civil justice system. We need to make it easier and more accessible for our neighbors to get the help that they need when they face legal problems. And we can do that through innovation, collaboration, and really looking at our civil justice system as a whole in order to make it better. One of the most interesting things about JFA is that it forces us to really think about what we mean by our justice system. It's not just about the courthouse. In the justice for all approach, we want anyone with or without a lawyer's help at the courthouse or outside of the courthouse to get the legal access they need when they need it and in a form that is best for them. And it recognizes that the places that people go to for help are often outside the legal system. They go to their libraries, their schools, shelters, and we need to partner with those organizations so that we can best serve people and work together with them. We are embracing those concepts and the framework that the National Center for State Courts has set out and bringing it here to the district, a tailored approach that looks at the district, our strengths, our challenges, and what we can do to address these civil justice needs. One of the reasons why this timing is so good is because the commission released a report in December 2019 called Delivering Justice, which was a wonderful collaboration with DLA Piper. What we did in that report was to talk about and examine our civil justice system, but also identify some solutions for how to improve it. Justice for All is a framework to go about actualizing many of the solutions that we identified in that report. In the end, what we hope will come from this are concrete plans to make important reform and improvements to our justice system that will make it more accessible, more efficient, more open to everybody. It's really exciting, Nancy. I think one of the things that's so exciting about this movement and about the fact that the District of Columbia is taking this on is really looking at these issues from the consumer's perspective or the Mm -hmm. users of our legal system and taking that into account so that we can increase access to justice, as you say. Mm -hmm. So really excited to see what's going to come out of that. Our vice chair, Jim Sandman, always says that our legal system was designed by lawyers for lawyers, but we know that most of the people who engage in that system are not lawyers. Becky talked about the high percentage of people who are in superior court every day on their own, without legal assistance. We need to make it easier for those people who may not have the benefit of a lawyer by their side to access that system. 
thinking about it from the perspective of that user, of that non-lawyer, it's really at the heart of justice for all is going to create such a shift in how we look at the work that we do and an important one at that. Absolutely. I want to turn for a minute to talk about the calls for racial justice in our community. And we know that these calls are not new and that the issues around equity have been a focus of justice efforts here in D.C. and around the country for as long as we can remember. But I know that we hope that the current calls for racial reckoning and justice will be part of a movement and not just a moment in time. And Becky, I want to turn to you for a minute and ask you, how is civil legal aid and the access to justice issues that we've been talking about, how are they connected to racial justice? Here in D.C., our clients are almost all people of color, and the issues they face are in numerous ways linked to the country's and the district's history of institutional racism. Providing access to the courts is one way to remedy the effects of that racism, although certainly that's not all we need to do on this front. The Pro Bono Center has a renewed focus on racial equity and inclusion, both in our own work and in how we deal with our clients and trying to ensure that we focus on the consumers more to include our clients in client advisory committee or figure out a way to make sure that they are an integral part of the work that we do and that it's not just us doing something to them, but it's part of an effort to be inclusive and to make sure that what we're doing is what the community needs. Thank you. Nancy, I know that you mentioned the legal needs report that the D.C. Access to Justice Commission issued and how that's a part of not only the justice for all efforts, but something that's really guiding work around all of these issues. And so I just wanted to know if there's anything that you would like to add in terms of that report and racial justice here in the district. I agree with everything that Becky said so beautifully. I think what we knew before the pandemic is that our community experienced all sorts of racial disparities that we outline in our report as important contexts for the legal needs that we see district residents experiencing. We knew pre-pandemic that parts of our city, which are predominantly people of color, had the highest poverty rates. We knew that Black residents of the District of Columbia had unemployment rates far, far higher than their white counterparts, and in fact, the highest unemployment rate in the nation. What we've seen since COVID has hit is that those disparities have only increased and been heightened. Part of that is because we know about the racial disparities we've seen in the impact of COVID. Black people in the district, which are 46% of the population, account for 74% of deaths and 51% of positive tests. Latinx people, 11% of the population, account for 26% of positive tests. Sadly, I think are going to see these disparities even grow, and it makes this focus on racial justice all the more important to really inform our work. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And I think also just in terms of the work that you all are doing, 
And the roles that you're playing in our city are more important than ever for all the reasons we've been discussing. And I think the convening power of the commission and collaborating with so many access to justice stakeholders, whether that's legal service providers, law firms, in-house departments, government lawyers, law schools, the courts, all of those stakeholders coming together is so important right now. We've talked about these collaborative efforts that has been a little silver lining in what has been a very difficult time and a time of crisis. I'm wondering if you could both comment on ways that the folks may be collaborating more or working differently that are actually a really good development. And if any of these ways of working will stick or remain with us when we get through this difficult time of the pandemic. I think that's absolutely right, Lisa. There's never been a time like this where I've felt the importance of the unique role that we play in the community. It's been incredibly gratifying to bring people together and to amplify the terrific work that's happening by people other than us in the community and to make sure that we can replicate it and make it a more consistent part of our community's work. I see lots of silver linings through the pandemic because I think what it's forced us to do is to embrace innovative practices that we probably wouldn't have ordinarily embraced with such enthusiasm. Becky can also talk about other examples where we've seen our legal services providers come together and coordinate in ways that they haven't before. And those are not things that we're going to turn our back on when we're past COVID. Those are things that we're going to make even stronger past the pandemic. I actually think that what we've done in the past nine months is putting us in a much stronger position in some ways to where we were before in terms of making the type of reform that we know is necessary to make our system better and more efficient. I think that's absolutely right. It's interesting, even with our pro bono program, the remote clinics that we're now doing where we're able to involve so many more people, so many more pro bono volunteers across offices because we're doing things remotely. Becky, are there any other examples or silver linings that you see about this time? So I agree with Nancy that I think we've learned how to work together more, the legal services organizations, the law firms, courts. And I think we're getting closer to a coordinated response to our community's legal needs. The other advantage to these remote hearings and the remote services is realizing that our clients have lots of obstacles in normal times getting legal services. There's transportation, there's childcare needs, the costs of getting somewhere. And I think our clients have learned and we have learned that we can serve our clients without making them come to our office or necessarily going to a resource center at the court. One of the reasons I think that's so important is that I've always lamented the fact that there were so many 
tenants who had to sit in landlord tenant court all day long waiting for a hearing or waiting to talk to a lawyer. And these are the people who are least able to take time off from work or to leave their children or they just don't have the flexibility that many of us have to spend all day in court. So I think that we've learned that there are ways to access justice that don't involve the physical presence in a court or a lawyer's office. That's a great example. Thank you. I want to ask both of you just a couple of really quick questions. I'm curious if you all have a personal mantra or a quote or a saying or something that you think about that gives you peace and strength during challenging times. So I've told you mine before. Don't let the good be the enemy of the okay. Yeah. And the idea is to give each <laughs> other grace. Mistakes will be made, but just move on. It's a great one. Nancy? <laughs> this is why we're all friends, because the word that comes to mind for me is grace. I think it was something that I thought about immediately when the crisis struck. There was so much anxiety. Everyone was like, why isn't this happening faster? Or why isn't this happening better? Or just dealing with so many stressors and pressures and anxieties at the same time. Something that I tried to infuse in my work and my outlook on things was grace. Everyone's doing their best. Everyone wants things to happen better and faster and more efficiently, but we're all dealing with so much, both professionally and personally, and giving people the benefit of the doubt, being patient with people. I think it's a good practice always, but during this particular time, it's just so important to keep that perspective. And I'm certainly not perfect with it, probably most with my children. <laughs> but I think that it's really important to keep in mind. <laughs> and it's a great reminder. Becky, who inspires you? So lots of people inspire me, people who work so hard and so selflessly to make other people's lives better. And I have to say that one person that came to mind is Peter Edelman, who chairs the Access to Justice Commission. He's mm -hmm. one of those people whose life has been dedicated to helping other people. Yeah. Nancy? Well, I would certainly agree with that as someone <laughs> who worked so closely with Peter. It's such an honor to work with him. As a parent of two school-age children, I'll tell you who inspires me every day, and that is teachers. Yeah. I'm in the unique position of being able to overhear everything that's happening because they're on Zoom. And the level of patience and positivity and just sheer will that I see from those teachers is awe-inspiring. There's been so much focus on first responders, and I really look at teachers in that category and just marvel at what they do every day. Well, I have to say, Nancy, that I am in awe of you, given all that you've accomplished while having two children at home you're trying to educate. <laughs> That's been quite amazing. Here, here, And Lisa, too, although your children are a little older. I know. Well, I agree with both of your answers. And I have to say, I'm inspired by both of you and all that you all do every day. So I want to end. What gives you hope as we look to the new year, um, 2021, for meeting the access to justice needs in our community? What is it that you're most hopeful about? Well, I do think that this effort demonstrates that we have so many people who are working 
tirelessly to ensure that access to justice is not reserved just for those who can pay for a lawyer. So that gives me a great deal of hope. I agree. I just see so many things coming together right now in such a positive way. People are thinking more about how to work together, how to innovate, how to be creative. And I feel like every day I learn about some new effort that just fits beautifully into this idea that we need to plan and work together. So I'm just incredibly excited about what 2021 will bring. I think we're all very happy to turn the corner on 2020. The work that will happen in 2021 is going to be really exciting. And that inspires me even on those really exhausting days. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I am hopeful myself for the District of Columbia because there are leaders like the two of you working so hard to make all of this happen. So thank you for all that you do every day. Oh, thank you, Lisa. You too. And you are one of those leaders. Absolutely. Here, here. Thank you all. All information, content, and materials contained in this podcast are for general informational purposes only. This podcast is intended to be a general overview of the subjects discussed and does not create a lawyer-client relationship. Statements and opinions are those of the individual speakers and participants and do not necessarily reflect the policies or opinions of DLA Piper LLP US. The information contained in this podcast is not and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice. No listener should act or refrain from acting with respect to any particular legal matter on the basis of this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. This podcast may qualify as lawyer advertising, requiring notice in some jurisdictions. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. DLA Piper LLP US accepts no responsibility for any actions taken or not taken as a result of this podcast.